And he called the people to him again and said to them, Hear me, all, all of you, and understand. There is nothing outside a person that by going into him can defile him. But the things that come out of a person are what defiles him. And when he had entered the house and left the people, his disciples asked him about the parable. And he said to them, Then are you also without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into a person from the outside cannot defile him? But since it enters not his heart, but his stomach and expelled, thus he declared all foods clean. And then he said, What comes out of a person is what defiles him. From, for from within, out of the heart of man, comes evil thoughts, sexual immorality, death, murder, adultery, adultery, coveting, weaknesses, weaknesses, deceit, Cincinnati, envy, slander, pride, and foolishness. All these things come from within, and they defile a person. Shall we pray? Gracious Heavenly Father, we come to you because we know our weakness, we know our limits, we know our confusion, and we feel the heaviness of doubts on our heart and discouragement. We cast our cares on you, for you care for us. Father, we lift up um, our brothers and sisters this morning who are struggling um, with pain, that are struggling with um, mental illness, that are struggling with physical afflictions, and the weight of that burden, I pray in the midst of that struggle, that pain, that darkness, that they would hear your voice in the voices of the church, the hands and the feet of Christ. Father, we specifically pray this morning for uh, Brother Bill Key. We thank you for his faithfulness throughout the years as a member of our church, and we lift him up to you today. We pray that you would strengthen him. We thank you for his sweet wife, Ginny, who faithfully loves her husband well. Father, we also lift up faith to you this morning as she is struggling with pain and the burden that she carries. Lord, I pray that you would give the doctors clarity to be able to determine that, that uh, you would be able to relieve her from that burden. And Father, we lift up uh, also for you Vicki Evans Versinga, who this morning is in Rochester, Minnesota at the Mayo Clinic with her son. But Lord, she is struggling physically. Uh, she is carrying a great burden, and we pray that you would touch her and give her the peace of Christ that passes all understanding. Father, we lift up this morning all the members of our congregation that are struggling through the loss of loved ones, through the difficulties, through pain. Lord, I pray that you would give them courage to trust you, to know the love of Christ in the midst of their weight of pain. Father, I pray for those in our families, in our church that are struggling with addictions, Lord, that you would release them from their bondage. And in the midst of their addictions, as you, it drives them to their knees, may it drive their eyes to heaven from whence their help comes from. Their help comes from the Lord. And that you will use their bondage and affliction to find freedom in Christ 
and deliver them from the bondage of their addictions. Father, we thank you that you're a God who is near to the brokenhearted, that you touch the pain, the, the outcasts of society, and you draw them close to your heart. We thank you for your love, we thank you for your mercy, and we thank you for your grace. This morning we pray to our great shepherd, Jesus Christ, the name above all names. In his precious holy name we pray, and all God's people said, amen. You may be seated. Throughout the world, there are billions of people who do not have access to clean water. What they do is they will go and they will walk for uh, hours and miles to be able to find sources of water where they can uh, be able to get enough water to be able to meet their needs, to be able to cook, to be able to wash. But the problem for over uh, nearly 2 billion people on our planet is that the water that they have, that they walk through the bush, through the savanna, through the plains to fetch in a pond, a river, or a stream, the water that they find is polluted. It is diseased. It is mixed with animal excrement and they are dying because their water is polluted. The water which weakens and deteriorates their body. The water that causes infections and abscesses and physical maladies. The water which is loaded with diseases like, and give them cholera and typhoid, typhoid fever and malaria and introduces deadly bacteria and parasites into their systems. The water that most people, because they don't have it, they won't even live past five because the water that they drink is destroying them. Every water, every glass of water that they drink is a potential killer. This morning, is connected with last Sunday's sermon about holiness. And the Pharisees that encountered Jesus thought that they could fix the outside and the outside would take care of the inside. But the problem was, Jesus said, it's not outside, it's what's inside that corrupts them. It's like the well of water that they are drinking, that all mankind are drinking, is poisoned and diseased and deadly. And it bubbles up with thousands of different varieties of sin. Holiness is a problem not because God is holy, it's because we are not. But Jesus does not leave us in the despair of our situation, but he comes to us and he tells us this morning, our, the big idea that I want you to know is this. Genuine holiness is a heart transformed by grace, overflowing in love and good works. Genuine holiness is a heart transformed by grace that overflows in love and good works. I want to see you this morning as we break up our text and look at it. The, the way we look at holiness is Jesus gives us a parable of holiness. 
and then he addresses the problem of holiness, and then looking the application, the practice of holiness, how we pursue holiness as people who love the Lord, trust his word, and seek to be Christ-like in our lives. We start in the parable of holiness that Jesus gives in verse 14. Notice uh, the words of Jesus. And Jesus called his people to him again and said, Hear me, all of you, speaking to the crowds, his disciples mixed in here. Hear me, all of you, and understand there is nothing outside a person that by going into him can defile him. Jesus tells us what you touch, contrary to the Pharisees, what you touch and what you eat does not make you clean or unclean. It doesn't make you pure or impure before the Lord. It doesn't make you holy or unholy. Jesus calls the people to himself. And he tells them, dispel of the silly myths of the Pharisees who hypocritical poison is destroying you. And that genuine purity before God cannot be achieved by traditions and rituals that you do on your outside. And as Baptists, we may say, well, we don't have a lot of traditions and rituals. That's for those people in high churches that stay and sit and kneel at certain times. They have to worry about that. But no, we as Baptists have many rituals, written and unwritten, that we do. That somehow we think that if we can get somebody to go from A to Z in these things, it will somehow make them holy. But the problem is what we do on the outside does not affect what happens on the inside. The Pharisees saw sin was that they saw sin as a spiritual germ that needed to be avoided at all cost. So what they would do is they would go to great lengths to avoid anyone that might be tainted with that spiritual germ. And they would be any unclean or defiled person. You can see a few verses earlier. They wouldn't go near that person in fear that their spiritual contamination would come on them. And so what they did is they built walls of um, between them and sinners, walls of contempt and walls of pride. And they fearfully worked to purify themselves just in case they unintentionally brushed up against somebody who might be tainted by that spiritual germ of sin. If you were to think about how the Pharisees viewed sin, it would almost be like doctors and nurses locking themselves inside a hospital because sick people are outside of the hospital, and if the sick people come in, the doctors and nurses might get contaminated, and if they did happen to have to leave the hospital, they would do all the rituals of sterilization that they do in the OR. They would do that at the grocery store, or they would do that at the restaurant, Because heaven forbid when they're away from the hospital they should brush up against somebody who has a germ. 
And the Pharisees are doing that. They were looking at sin as something that can be can jump from person to person, a children, a spiritual cootie, if you will, uh, to be able to do that. But Jesus says, what you're doing, you're doing this all wrong. Unholiness and impurity is not something that can jump on us from the outside. Impurity and uncleanliness before God is something that affects us from the inside out. Notice verse 15b, the end of verse 15. But the things that come out of a person is what defiled us. What defiles us is not the external, what we eat or what we touch. What defiles us is what comes out of us. The source of impurity before God is not what is around you, but what's in you. A person is not defiled by what comes near them, but what flows out of them. And Jesus is telling the Pharisees that the reason they're not holy is not because their laws weren't stringent enough, because the Pharisees had stringent laws. And they did a lot of really good things, and they took biblical practices and they applied them to their life, but trying to make themselves worthy before God rather than taking care of the problem. Their problem wasn't that their walls weren't tall enough or their environment wasn't sterile enough. The problem is that the Pharisees were looking in all the wrong places to be able to purify their sin. It's as if the Pharisees were trying to cure spiritual cancer with Perel and the Atkins diet. And doing so was destroying their souls. This parable of Jesus warns us that our souls cannot be solved and saved uh, at the surface level with cleansers and diets and well-intentioned, well-meaning traditions. And let me note, traditions are not bad. There are faithful men and women of 2,000 years of the church who have created traditions and creeds and councils and confessions that guide our soul and protect us from sin. But those things are not the things that can transform our hearts. And Jesus is telling us that we need to address the problem of our inability to stand before a holy God. It starts on the inside and flows out rather than starting on the outside and flowing in. It's first century behavior modification. Think about your children. You put rules on your children, and when they're little and you can still pick them up, you say, you will do this. No, I won't. You pick them up and you make them do that. Now that Andrew's at a point where he can pick me up and make me do something, uh, that's the, you see the problem. What often happens to our youth is they turn 18, they go to the university, and what happens? They go nuts. Why? Because we haven't got their heart, but we have, like the snake inside the tin can, we have put that spring down, and then when you took the, take the restrictions of the parents off, what happens to that snake? It takes off. Because the outside, though well-meaning and well-founded and well-convicted and good biblical things, the outside cannot change the inside. It's a heart issue. If you work with me in counseling, if you ask me a question, I always ask, what's the what? What's the heart issue? Because we do what our heart loves. And so unless we get to that heart issue, 
It will never change the outside. We can put lipstick on a pig, but it's still a pig. And Jesus is saying the outside is not what cleanses and purifies the heart. Something has to be done. And I fear in the 21st century evangelical church here in the SBC and the church at large, oftentimes we approach holiness the same way Pharisees did. We build walls and traditions and measurements of holiness um, about what we want people to look like on the outside, like a factory. If we produce these widgets, everything looks alike and talks alike and quacks alike, we think that's what we want to do. But the problem is that's not the gospel because the gospel changes your heart. What you wear and what you say and what you watch and what you listen to and the company you keep and what you drink and what you don't drink and how you vote or how you don't vote, those are all important things. But that don't, they cannot change your heart because those are outside things. And we can try to build impregnable walls to keep the pure people in and the impure people out because we don't want to be like the world and we don't want to be tainted by the world. We just want people that look like us and talk like us and vote like us and follow our rules, no matter what their heart looks like. And if you meet our standards, we'll associate with you. But if you don't, we'll cut you off and we don't want to be tainted by their sin, both wicked and dangerous. Oh, I'm sorry. This is both wicked and this is both dangerous. And it's not the gospel. It's the Pharisees. Remember, I said the Pharisees kind of get a bad rap. Everybody dumps on the Pharisee, but the reality is we have hearts like Pharisees. We need to have hearts like Jesus. So let me ask you this. What laws do you impose, or do we as a church corporately, impose to distinguish between who is clean and who is unclean? What hoops does a person need to jump through before we, what, they're acceptable? What words or what philosophies or what patterns of life what must a person embrace before they're considered an insider? Whatever standard of holiness you might have, if your understanding does not, uh, of holiness does not begin with the heart, and you're standing before a holy God, you're not doing it right. You're just like the Pharisees, except you look a little different 2,000 years later. Genuine holiness, brothers and sisters, is a heart transformed by grace, overflowing in love and good works. Not only do we, Jesus give us the parable of holiness that says it's the outside, not the inside, but he also shows us the problem of sin. The problem of sin, like the problem of this projector, is that we have uh, a serious problem. Notice uh, what Chris read for us this morning in Jeremiah chapter 17, verse 9. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? Ocean Park, the reason that we're not holy is not because we, do not, we, we don't do enough things. Uh, it's not because we don't have the right traditions, the right rituals, the right charities, the, you name it, fill in the blank. The reason that we're not holy is our hearts are po a poisoned well that gushes forth diseased water. Like the wells in Africa, in Asia, and in parts of 
our own continents. They are poisoned well that if you stir that well up right, a litany of deadly diseases and calamities pour forth from that well. And as we look at this list of sins that Jesus says, we might say, I don't do all this stuff. I haven't ever murdered anyone. But you see, the seed of sin is, exists in every heart. Just as poisoned well, wells produce a vast array of dangers, the human heart, poisoned by sin, produces a vast multitude of sins that defile a person. Notice verses 20 through 23. And Jesus said, What comes out of a person is what defiled him, not what they do on the outside. From within uh, the heart, uh, of man come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, covetousness, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, evil, slander, pride, foolishness. All these things, evil things, come from within and they defile a person. Holiness is from the inside out. And therefore, the Pharisees' problem and our problem this morning is not the food that we eat and the rituals that we do and perform. The problem is with our hearts. We have a heart problem. Notice verse 6. Because they had a heart, they said the right things. These people honor me with their lips. They sang the right songs. They said the right creeds. They knew all the words of amazing grace. They knew the books of the Bible and they could explain basic doctrines, even big words like propitiation and justification. But the problem was they knew all those things, but their hearts were wicked and their hearts were far away. God, their, their knowledge of tradition in the Bible was here, but never did it connect to here, their hearts that connection that the Spirit makes between the head and the heart. And when Jesus, what Jesus speaks of the heart is not speaking of the... He is speaking of the rational, intellectual, decision-making aspects of our heart and our will, not just simply our emotions. Brothers and sisters, we don't sin because of our environment, our education, our examples, though the world will tell us, though, that... Our environment, our education, and our examples allow us to sin in different ways. But the reason that we sin is because the well of our hearts has been poisoned by sin like the wells of dirty water capable of all, our hearts are capable of all types of wickedness. And you notice the first thing out of the bat of the, of the defiled heart is evil thoughts. The heart, the mind, the intellect, the will that is opposed to God. Now, I won't go down every, um, every uh, sin specifically, but if you'll notice that there are 13, it starts with these flowing from an evil thought, but you have six plural nouns and six uh, singular nouns, really separating the six sinful actions that you do and that you partake in, um, sexually, uh, towards others, murders, uh, coveting is exploiting the poor. And then you have six singular nouns which are added, sinful attitudes of the heart. Deceit and sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. And as you look through this list, you think, oh my. 
This is ugly. This list is wicked. This list contains countless evils. This list is absolutely terrifying. And as you read, some of you, these are poured out of, and some of you have also been victims of this list. And you know, if it's just stirred the right way and enough anger in the right situation and you feel this well bubbling up inside of you and it scares you because you don't like that. You don't like when that well gets shaken by pride, that well gets shaken by anger, and then you begin and you see what it is. But some of you are thinking, that's not me. I don't do any of that. Never, ever, ever say, I'd never do that. I remember sitting in a just tiny little prison cell with an individual who had been convicted of something that was absolutely shocking to me. And I remember sitting with them, and I looked them in the eye, and I said, what happened? Why did you do it? And this person looked at me and said, if you would have told me six months ago that I would be sitting here with you, I would have laughed. But he said, the first time was just so easy. And it just got out of control. Now I'm here. I'm separated from my family. I've lost my family. I've lost my relationship. I lost uh, these things. It was just so easy. Brothers and sisters, the heart is a well that when it is stirred, it can be... uh, We are shocked at what the, the heart is capable of doing. J.C. Ryle, the great Anglican bishop, said this, all of us, whether high or low, rich or poor, masters or servant, old or young, uh, learned or unlearned, all of us have by nature such a heart as Jesus here describes. The seeds of all the evils there mentioned it lie hidden within all of us. They lie dormant all our lives. They may be kept down by the fear of consequences, by the restraint of public opinion, the dread of discovery, the desire to be thought respectable, and above all, by the almighty grace of God. But every man and every woman has within him or her the root of every sin. The problem is like the wells of Africa. We don't all have malaria and cholera and disgusting abscesses hanging from our face but we have the same rotten, dirty water that affects us all. We don't sin. I'm sorry. We're not sinners because we sin. We sin because we're sinners. All of us have different temptations and sins and have fallen short in a multitude of different ways. But what joins us together is not the sins that we have committed. It's the same rotten, Um, poisoned well of the heart that we have. A heart that cannot stand before a holy God just as men and women of earth cannot stand before or go near the sun because it will tear us up. Not because the sun is bad, but because the sun is so good. And the holiness of God is the same way. We often look at God as this big grump in the sky that just 
this, uh, uh, he wants to come down on us, but the reality is um, the joy and the goodness and the purity and the glory of God would consume us if we came into his presence. Something must be done. Now let me also note, sermons like this can get a little uh, wonky because you start to really dump it on. We're not as bad as we could be. By the grace of God, none of you have tried to kill me in this sermon. You might have thought about it. Oh, he's going long. We better do something. But the reason we don't commit all the sins that we're capable of, that's the grace of God. But the doctrine of total depravity says this, not that we're as bad as we possibly could be pure anarchy wherever we go. The doctrine of total depravity says even the best of us and the best things that we did have the taint of sin upon them. And that's why we realize we cannot come into the perfect holiness. When we're honest, sometimes we think, yeah, I'm good, I'm better than that guy. And when in doubt, compare yourself to someone like Hitler or Stalin or Lenin. Do that. But I, uh, when we're honest, we cannot go into the presence of a holy God because we are not And we fall on our face like Isaiah the prophet and says, Woe is me, for I am a man of unclean lips and I dwell in a people of unclean lips. None of us can stand before the perfect goodness and perfect holiness of God, just as we cannot go near the power of the Son. When you're attempted to trust your tradition, your good works, your self-will, remember the problem of holiness is nothing in God but everything in us. Our temptation, or our traditions that we try to use to make us better before God, are, all the things on the outside are like this that Isaiah says, we have all become like one who is, what, unclean. And all our righteous deeds are like polluted garment, like the football pads and and clothes that have been left in my car overnight and you open the door and it smells like sheer death. That is your righteousness before God. And that's about the response God has. We all fade like a leaf and all our iniquities like the wind takes us away. Not only do we have the parable of holiness, the problem of holiness, but the practice of holiness, because genuine holiness begins in our heart and overflows in love and good works. We see in, how do we apply this? How do we practice holiness? How do we perceive Christ? Turn in your Bibles to Titus chapter 3. It's in the New Testament towards the end. Um, It's on page 998 of your pew Bible. If you don't have a pew Bible, you brought your own. You're still not sure where it is. Go in the, t- the, the table of contacts in the front. Go towards the end. It goes 1 Timothy, uh, 2 Timothy, Titus. And then it'll show a page number and you can turn to there. Uh, but once you get there, go to Titus chapter 3, verse 3. Titus chapter 3, verse 3. Only the new birth, only regeneration, only being born again can we become holy? Because holiness is the work of God inside of us that manifests outside of us. Notice verse 3 of Titus. For we ourselves were once foolish, 
disobedience led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. This is our former identity, our former way of life, where we were alienated from God in this uh, this pollution of our heart would come up and bubble up to the surface, even in the good things that we do. We realize that deep down inside, the intent, the motivations, the thoughts, the desires that scare us, that nobody else can see, these things bubble us. But we are enemies of God, and therefore our identity is like this. And our alienation from God leads to struggle and to bondage and to walls of division. The world is not the way it's supposed to be. My heart is not the way it's supposed to be. But here's, that's the bad news. That's the bad news of the gospel. And you can't have the bad news, or good news of the gospel without the bad news. Notice what's in uh, verse 4. But... And the conjunctions in Scripture are glorious, and especially when you see lists like verse 3. But when the goodness and loving kindness of our God appeared, for God so loved the world, He saved us. Why did He save us? Not because we are good, not because we're, we vote the right way, not because we act the right way, not like, not like we don't smoke and we don't chew and we don't go with girls who do. Why do we do that? Not by works of righteousness, but according to His own, what? Mercy. And mercy means not getting what you deserve. By the washing of regeneration. Regeneration is another word for being born again. And the renewal of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit that now comes, the Spirit of God now abides in His people and con, uh, convicts and encourages and leads in truth and, and, uh, and, and urges when He poured out richly through Christ our Savior that not being justified by grace we might be heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Notice the transformation that brings us salvation, regeneration, renewal, justification, and makes us heirs. It's the inner renewal of the Holy Spirit causing us to be born again and come alive. It's like those ministries and charities that go into the places where they have dirty, nasty water and bring them water filters. Or dig new wells of cool, living, clear water. Not living water, that's Jesus. But clear water, free of disease and bacterias and worms. And, that, and, and you watch a, a, a people, because they're drinking deep of this clean water, their children are growing strong and their bodies are, 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 are being strengthened. And the people are living and thriving. Because there is a change in their water that came from deep within, and now they are benefiting on the outside. When the Holy Spirit transforms a person from the inside out, their heart radically changes. They possess now an inner holiness that's demonstrated by the external fruit of righteousness, by the fruit of the Spirit. And this is what Paul writes in Romans 14. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, washing and having ceremonies, things, and what we do in traditions. And I go to church every Sunday, and I say my prayers, and I confess, and I do this, and I do that, and I memorize, and I do that. But the rest of the week, I'm wicked. 
Why? Not because you didn't worship hard enough or you didn't try hard enough. It's because your heart is bad and poisoned by sin and you need an inner transformation of the Holy Spirit to cause you to be born again and to give you a new purified heart. And peace and joy that the Holy Spirit brings. Ocean Park, some of you have never considered the state of your heart. You only look at the state of your outsides. You've tried to do good things. Many of you have done really good things. Some of you have tried churchy things and moral things to be holy. And you're trying to do and do and more. And you're trying to do the, uh, the, all of this on the outside. Trying to do the work of the Holy Spirit. But you realize it's not making any difference. Stop it. Stop it. Nothing you can do can change your heart. And you need to confess that. Confess the, your inability to change your heart, but confess that Jesus can change your heart by his spirit. The songwriter, the, for some reason, often they skip in hymnals, nothing in my hands I bring. Not my traditions, not my goodness, not my deeds of charity. Simply to thy cross I cling. Naked, come to thee for dress. Helpless, look to thee for grace. Foul, dirty, defiled, unclean. To the fountain of the, the, the cross. Wash me, Savior, or I die. Holiness is from the inside out, and as time is rapidly evaporating, holiness must also be cultivated. For those of you who have trusted in Christ, holiness must be cultivated in your life. When we experience a new birth, we receive a new heart, a new family, a new identity, a new life. Though we are declared holy before God in His courtroom, the Almighty Judge said, I declare as maker almighty, that this person is mine, my adopted child, and nothing can change that. The family resemblance of adoption begins as we cultivate the holiness and seek the heart of God. People tell me I look like my dad, and I laugh and say, I'm adopted. And they're like, ugh. But if you know my dad, and you know me, 40 years as his adopted son, I do a lot of things like my dad, and that's a really good thing. And as we are adopted into the family of God, we begin with new hearts and new identities. We be start to have the family resemblance. We become like Christ, our big brother. And we slowly begin to fight for holiness. Though we in the courtroom have declared holy, we become like what we are. That purification process of our life where we begin to starve and put to death those old desires of our flesh that we still have by the power that is working in us. The very thing that Paul says in Colossians, if you have been raised with Christ, do what? Set your mind on Christ. Or see, uh, Scott, we're memorizing this verse, Scott and I, and I just blew it. I was supposed to know this. If you've been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on what? Things that are above where, and not things that are on earth. 
we fight to starve our sinful nature. As the children go in VBS, those little sin balls that taint us, we starve them. And we feed the Spirit of God and we feed, feed this new holy thing that we have. And the illustration in our lives is Stop eating greasy value meals and start eating healthy fruits and vegetables. Stop watching Netflix on the couch and binging on, that, on ice cream and start working out at the gym. We have to be deliberate in our fight for holiness. But unlike the Pharisees who employed powerful traditions and useless rules, we now fight with the power of the Holy Spirit who is working in us. And we can say, I'm not strong enough but you are. Make me like Jesus. Pipe, John Piper, in his, one of his devotionals, says this, the mind is the window to the heart. And if we let our minds constantly dwell in the dark, the heart will feel dark. But if we open the window of our mind to the light, the heart will feel the light. Brothers and sisters, are you fighting for holiness? Are you setting your mind on things that are above where Christ is? Are you reading your Bible not to be able to... We had an old offering envelope that said you check that and you feel good. I'm a good Christian this week. I check that box. But are you reading your Bible because it is a window to the heart of God that you can see that and it changes how you look at the world? Are you devoting yourself to Christian fellowship because you need brothers and sisters who are going to love and encourage you and guard you in your walk while we as runners come together for this point in our life? Are you devoting yourself to corporate worship? Are you too busy doing other things? Are you too busy on Saturdays and it makes you miss Sundays? Fight for holiness and fight for joy because the Lord laid his life down to save you from your sin discipleship groups where you learn and pray together, where people and individuals where you Bible study and prayer, having a pastoral care in your life. None of these, you're doing it to get checkboxes and make you a better candidate to sit closer to Jesus in the corporate assembly of heaven when that day comes, but because you want to fight for Christ-likeness because it is so easy to slink back into the flesh and lethargy and laziness. Holiness is inside out, must be cultivated, and it's dirty business. You think holiness is dirty business. Brings us back to the clash of Jesus and the Pharisees. See, the Pharisees went out of their way to avoid the filth of the people, of the unholy people. Jesus went out of his way to be a friend to sinners. It was Jesus who reached his hand out and did the unthinkable. He touched the lepers. He ate with sinners and tax collectors. He never approved of what they're doing. He never uh, said, you're okay. He was a friend to the unholy that they may hear the good news of the gospel that says repent and believe. Holiness is not an external metric that we can come up, but holiness is living in close proximity with sinners, knowing they will not pollute you, but knowing they need Jesus. And they cannot stand before the holiness of God, and they will die in their sin for eternity, and we must reach them with the gospel. One of the 
commentators I read that said the church needs to be like a chimney sweep. Chimney sweeps can't do what they're supposed to do without getting dirty. And remember, we are going to rub elbows and put our arms around lost people that say lost things and act lost ways and they act have filthy lives. Why? Because their hearts are, are filthy. But they need Jesus. And remember, every single one of you who has trusted Jesus did not earn your salvation. It was grace, meaning nothing in your hands you brought, simply to the cross you clung. Bring the cross to Jesus. Rub elbows with the lost people, knowing that it's not going to contaminate me because Christ has changed my heart. There's wisdom, though. The lost needs Jesus. And we need to be faithful to go into the world and build friendships with our family members, our co-workers, and not build walls that separate us from lost people. Because we need to, be, to go into the, all the world and preach the gospel, knowing that genuine holiness is transformed heart by grace, by God's grace, overflowing in love and good works.